The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Know, dear brethren, that as we have rejoiced at the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, so by leave of God's mercy we announce to you also the joy of his resurrection, who is our Savior. On the 22nd day of February will fall Ash Wednesday and the beginning of the fast of the most sacred Lenten season. On the 9th day of April, you will celebrate with joy Easter Day the Paschal Feast of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the 18th day of May will be the Ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the 28th day of May, the Feast of Pentecost. On the 11th day of June, the Feast of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. On the third day of December, the first Sunday of the Advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. For hundreds and hundreds of years, on the day of the Feast of the Epiphany, after the conclusion of the proclamation of the Gospel, 
the dates of the movable feasts of the year are announced. It is still in the liturgy to be done in our present day and age, it's just rarely done. And so if this is the first time you've experienced it, that's not at all surprising. In a time before there were calendars, this was vitally important. But there's something about this act on the Feast of the Epiphany, of announcing the dates of the great celebration of the year, which is more than simply utilitarian. It is not simply so that people can write this down and go home and reserve the dates. Rather, on the day where we celebrate the Lord showing his face to the nations and the nations moving to meet and see the Lord, the church sees fit to announce those occasions throughout the year where we don't simply celebrate the Lord, but we recognize that it is Jesus who puts our time in order. And the ordering of the Christian year is, on the one hand, a necessary ordering according to the life of Jesus Christ. But the hinge on which all of that turns is Easter Sunday. And so it is the announcing of the date of Easter, which is the important thing in that proclamation of dates, because it is from the date of Easter that all of the other feast days are determined. Note how marvelous that is, and note what it says, that this is the great mystery. The great day of the year is Easter Sunday. Every other Sunday of the year is like a mini Easter. It's the echo of Easter Sunday as we continue celebrating. And it is the Easter mystery which puts into order all of our celebrating of the events of the life of Jesus and all of the great things that God has done for us through his son. So on the day, in a sense, where the nations move to find the newborn king, we also announce to the world, to those who have met him and who do know him, that it is this king who is Lord over the times and the seasons of our living and our worship and our prayer. What a wonderful, what a wonderful combination of ideas and elements and mysteries we have here. And we do this on the Feast of the Epiphany. The word itself means manifestation or shining forth. And so this is very much a feast in no small measure of the visibility, the recognizability of the glorious presence of God. It is not the feast of the shining forth of a star. And it's important that we understand that. The brightness of the star is not the brightness that sits at the heart of this mystery. Because this is the day where we celebrate the brightness of the one whom the star serves. The lesser light of the star is at the service of bringing those who follow it to the greater light, which is the Lord. The feast we celebrate today is not the feast of the following of a star. It is a feast of arriving at Jesus Christ.
And it's easy, it's easy in the details of the story to miss that. Because so much of the weight of the story is the seeing of the star, the following of the star, as if the star is the important thing. But the important element is the one who is sought. The one who sent the star in the first place. Because it is not the star that lead the magi to Jesus. It is Jesus who through the star calls them to himself. And this beautiful truth was so important that one of the great early fathers of the church, St. Gregory Nazianzen, in reflecting on this mystery, paused in wonderment at that moment when the Magi arrived at the house and they first laid their eyes on Christ. They who had set their eyes on a star in the distant heavens suddenly have before them so close, so near, the face of one whose goodness shines more brightly than that star. And the saint said that as the magi, as the magi placed their eyes to gaze upon the child, that on that day astrology died. Because those who were enslaved to the elemental powers of the world, those mysterious forces that man across the centuries has felt have governed and guided human destinies, realize that there is one greater than all of those things, who is not governed by stars, not governed by earthly forces, but whose authority is so great he governs all of those things. He is the one who sends the star. It's not that the star spontaneously rises and announces him of its own accord. He is the one who sets that star in the sky. And so this issue then of the Magi following a star because they are seeking the sun, following a star because they are seeking a greater light, are from a distance responding to the call of Jesus Christ across the nations to them, drawing them to himself. Consider that for a moment, my friends, with the simple fact that earlier this morning you were all someplace else, and now you're here. We don't have enough beds in the uh, shrine house, so I know you didn't stay overnight. But note that. Note the fundamental dynamic of Christian worship. We start someplace else, and we get up and we move. And we move from different directions and different routes and different starting points at different speeds, and yet we move and we find ourselves here. And why? It's not because we saw a star physically that we followed that led us here. But we are here because of him, because of Christ. 
And that movement that gets us up, gets us in our cars, and has us move to the church where we will gather and we will pray and we will meet and receive him, is a response to the fact that it is Christ who draws us to himself. It is never merely our own initiative, our own impulse. That same Lord Jesus who used the very heavens to draw the Magi to himself is the one who has drawn you to himself here in this place this morning. And note how marvelous this is. The Lord is the one who does the drawing. The Lord is the one who sets the movement in motion. To the eyes of the world, it looks like three scholars observe something and want to go exploring it, and yet what they saw, what got their attention, was sent to them by him. They, in a sense, are drawn by the star of Jesus Christ's desire for them. Just as each of us finds himself or herself here today, not merely because we desire to be with Jesus, but because more beautifully and more powerfully and more truly, he desires us to be here with him. How different worship sounds and seems when we recognize this that before it is an initiative or an undertaking of our own, it is a movement of his heart that calls us, that claims us. It is not a mere obligation which binds us together on these Sundays. It is the fact that he desires this because he desires you. And so on this feast, the church's eyes swell with wonder at the mighty desire in the heart of the Lord, a desire so great he steps out of heaven to be with us, a desire so mighty he will make himself small so that we can draw near. And yet this tiny child in his mother's arms, whose hands are not yet physically powerful enough to do much of anything, this tiny child in his mother's arms moves the heavens to call the nations to himself. So small, so weak, and yet with a desire within him so great that the stars change their course so that he might know you, and you might know him. That's the beauty of this mystery. The Lord's glory shines in the heavens by means of the star, but the greater glory is the child with his mother, the great glory of the one who doesn't simply move the heavens, but moves the human heart. And so it is then. The star appears in the sky and the magi notice it. And at the risk of just overstating the obvious, to notice a star, one has to do something important. And that's look up. 
most of our life is spent looking down, or at best, straight ahead. We see what we see every day. We see what surrounds us, what is near at hand, and we don't see much further than that. We spend an awful lot of our lives avoiding each other's eyes and looking away. What we do most infrequently is look up. Look up from our troubles. Look up from our concerns. Look up from our activities. Look up from our distractions. But if we don't look up, there could be a thousand such stars burning over our heads, and they will do us no good. The Magi begin by looking up. And in looking up, they can see the light of Christ's desire for them. And seeing that light, they set themselves into movement to follow where it will lead. But if they do not look up, there is no movement forward. But these, these looked up and they saw. And note what has to happen on seeing the star and seeing its light and feeling the tug in their heart, they still need to move. Scripture doesn't tell us how many people saw the star. One might well assume that there were others who simply didn't move. They were content to look, but they didn't respond. But these looked, these responded. They moved with a certain urgency because why the star is announcing he is here now. And so it is the now to which the Magi respond. He is here now. He has now arrived. We must now go to see him. In an age where we love to put things off until later, note how powerful this witness is. He is there now. We can be with him now. We can know him now. Tomorrow doesn't have much value. Now matters. We can be with him now. And if we're with him now, tomorrow will take care of itself. But he is there now. And so they set out on their journey, but they do not go empty-handed. They bring things. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh we hear. And these gifts that the Magi carry with them to meet this one who is here now, to meet this one who calls to them through the very stars, these gifts are well chosen. And a well chosen gift says something about the person to whom it's given. If I don't know you well, it's only by blind luck that I can give you a good gift a well-chosen gift. But if I know you well, if I know you well, and I know what you like, and I know your history, then I know what to give you. The Magi 
The Magi arrive with their gifts, and their gifts are not merely, let's get something nice to give the new king. It begins with the question, what is right to give him? One such as this, what do we bring him? And so these three gifts that St. Matthew mentions, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all say something about who this child is. Gold for a king. Incense is used in the worship of God. And myrrh is the bitter anointing that is used for someone who dies. No. King and God and sacrifice. As the traditional carol, We Three Kings, will explain in its verses, the gifts all tell us something. The Magi, without knowing his name, without having seen his face, in following that star, begin to perceive who it is that is calling to them. And so they come to him with gifts that rightly honor him in the greatness and the complexity of all that he is. He is king, and he is divine, and he is the one who will sacrifice his life for our salvation. Note how powerful this is. And so they come, and they kneel, and they do him homage. They bow down before him. And in bowing before him, they give him the gift, not just of their treasure, but the gift of saying, we have come to know you and who you are. And now our eyes feast upon you. Now our eyes see you. How absolutely wonderful. And so the question is, we who have come here to be in the presence of this same Jesus Christ, whom the Magi saw, did we come empty-handed? I'm not going to pass a basket. But what do we bring him as we arrive in this place today? The Magi brought their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. Do we come, for example, with the gold of charity and generosity in our hearts that we can offer him? Do we come with the incense of prayerfulness in our spirit? desiring to worship him well and to worship him rightly? Do we come with hearts that know the myrrh of repentance and conversion? Because he has come to save us from our sins. Note how much the Magi teach us. And that in coming here, in coming before him in prayer at home. But when we come into his presence, we don't come merely to receive, merely to get, merely to be blessed. Oh, that happens. But we also come to give him something of ourselves, something from our lives, something that says, indeed, Lord, I know who you are. And knowing who you are, I know how to respond. 
What a beautiful, beautiful witness this is. And having come, having adored him, having given their gifts, having received the joyful conclusion to that long journey, they go back home. And beautifully, beautifully, the tale ends with that very simple statement, they were warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod. And so they returned home by another way. And this too is important for us. Not necessarily because there's a Herod we have to worry about right now, although the spirit of Herod is abroad in the world alive and well. Rather, the lesson for us is this. Even if I get into my car and I drive the same route I took to come here physically, the question is, do I go home differently than I left? Do I go home in a different spirit? Do I go home with a deeper peacefulness, a greater desire to be charitable? Do I go home bearing something away from my encounter with Christ that makes me different, even in a small way? Note how important that is. They will go back to that familiar place that is home, but the way they go is not the way they came. Not necessarily because the physical route is different, but because the men who travel it are now different. Different for having met him. And this will be literally true for all of us in a few minutes. Because when we leave today, we are going to be leaving here with something we didn't bring. Because in a few minutes, you will look upon the presence of Jesus Christ and his body and blood on the altar. And you'll come forward as the Magi did. But you'll get to do what they didn't. You'll stretch out your hand. You won't just look. But you'll receive him. And he will place himself in your hands. Physically, it may be my hand that does the placing. But the reality is it is Jesus who places himself, who gives himself. And so, no, we come with our small gift for him. And he gives us himself. And in giving us himself and we receive him, we leave this place bearing him within us, out into the world. Note how marvelous that is. And whether we realize it or not, we all go home differently because of it. But the more we realize that, the more what we do here on Sunday begins to penetrate us, change us, and transform us. But what a great mystery this is. It begins with the desire of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us, a desire that draws us to him. And in that desire, he gives himself to you. And you go forth, whether you came by yourself or not, but not alone.
because you go forth bearing him within you. How absolutely wonderful. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the star of that great desire of Jesus Christ for you shines over the heaven of your heart because the Lord longs for you to be with him, whether it is here or in your parish church. Note how wonderful and constant it is. Once that star of his desire began shining 2,000 years ago, it has never stopped. Physically, it is not visible in our earthly skies, but in the sky of your heart, that star is very much brightly burning and present even to this very day. Amen.